0: Hi, I'm Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. The Catholic Church is supposed to be light to the world, but at first glance, some people might say, there doesn't seem to be a lot of light shining these days, you know. If you think about all the the doctrinal confusion there is among our own Catholic people, you know, so many people uh, confused about the dignity of human life, the definition of marriage, or as we've been talking recently about the belief in the Eucharist. That sixty seven percent of uh, of Catholics, at least in our country here in the United States, don't believe in the real presence in the Eucharist. This is, you know, it's a lot of confusion out there. But it's not just the beliefs; it's the fact that the amount of people coming to church. Coming to mass has been on the decline. Year after year after year there's less and less people coming. Uh and that was before COVID. Then you take the COVID pandemic and now we're seeing here in our country as churches are opening up that many people are not coming back. I was just with a group of pastors this last week uh, from all different parts of the United States coast to coast and many of them were telling me how happy they were to have their churches open again and starting to see people trickling back in but they all had a certain sadness that they knew that there were many that were not coming back, that there were many that used to be there but aren't showing up anymore. But it's not just about the confusion about beliefs. It's not just the low attendance at Mass. It's also that a lot of the institutions that were uh, kind of like icons of, of Catholic culture in different countries, you know, like Catholic schools and parishes and seminaries, those are on the decline. You know, year after year, we hear about Catholic schools closing. We hear about parishes closing, seminaries closing. When you stare at this, it could be a little discouraging. We could think that, man, Christianity is really... On the decline, Christianity's falling apart. It's no longer a force in this world. What's going to happen in the future? But I, what I want you to do, though, I, I want you to go back and imagine those first apostles. I just want you to just imagine being Peter and James and Andrew and Philip and John. And imagine they were given this mission to go preach the gospel to the whole world and 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 when they looked around they're looking at each other going it's just us it's just us you know 11 and then we you know we picked that that successor for Judas we got Matthias with us now okay good we're we're back up to 12 <laughs> and and just imagine how how they felt you know if they approached their mission to bring the gospel to the world if they approached it the way Many parishes or dioceses kind of have a certain mindset, you know, like, like hey, let's, let's form a task force on evangelization and figure out the best practices for evangelization. Let's form a committee. You know, we'll have a committee and it'll, it'll figure it all out for us. Now, don't be wrong, task force and committees can, can be of value, but, but I want you to just imagine Peter holding that first task force committee meeting, you know, with, uh, what do we, what's our agenda? Well, we have to bring the gospel to the world. Uh, and and imagine you know they're sitting around and they're they're looking at all their resources. What resources do we have at our disposal? What talent do we have? You know how much leadership experience do we have here? Just imagine that that conversation. You know, you know imagine you know Andrew says, Hey Peter, so how many bishops do we have? Uh, there's 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 eleven of us, and now we got now we got Matthias with us, so there's twelve again. How many priests? Same number. How many deacons? Um, no deacons. Any trained theologians, Peter? Um, nope, we don't have any trained theologians to help us to preach the gospel. How about religious orders? Those could be really helpful. Do we have any religious orders? Nope, no religious orders. Any any seminarians coming up the ranks? Nope. All right, do we have any seminaries? Nope, no seminaries. How many believers do we have? Uh, I think a few hundred. Okay, um... Peter, how many countries do we have that have Christians in them? That'd be a great starting point to evangelize the world is find those Christians in those countries. And Peter would say, uh, guys, remember, we're we're it. You know, it's just right here in Israel. We're the we're the only <laughs> we're the only ones here in Judea that, that believe right now. Um, okay. How many how many church buildings do we have? Do we have any church buildings? Nope. Any schools or universities? Nope. Any any written gospels at our disposal? That'd be helpful to proclaim the gospel? Uh, nope, we haven't gotten that done yet. Any money? Do, I, do we have much money? <laughs> not much at all. How about how about how many of us have experience doing foreign mission, evangelizing, and preaching the gospel in foreign countries? Zero. <laughs> Could you just imagine that first committee meeting? If they approached it like a committee meeting, they would be completely discouraged. They would be in despair, you know. But that's not what they did. They didn't put their trust. In numbers they didn't put their trust in financial resources they didn't put their trust in institutions that they had at their disposal They put their trust in Jesus and the power of Jesus's spirit working through them because Jesus promised that he would send them the Holy Spirit. He would clothe them with power from on high, that Christ would dwell within them and help them say what they could never say on their own, to preach like they could never preach on their own, to do things that they could never do on their own. And it was Jesus working through them that the whole world was evangelized and As we are standing in our own apostolic age, we need to realize that our strength is not in how many parishes we have, how many seminarians we have, how much money we have, how many diocesan offices we have. That's not where our strength is. Our strength is in the Lord. And there's a wonderful book that I've been reading over this last year that came out from the University of Mary up in Bismarck, North Dakota. It's called From Christendom to Apostolic Mission. From Christendom to Apostolic Mission. And this book just so beautifully lays out for us very clearly the challenges we face, that we are no longer living in a period that that we can rely on our institutional strength. Those institutions are fading, but Christianity is not fading. That the faith can and will be passed on in powerful ways through those that are faithful in trying new approaches to passing on the faith. Whether you are a parent in the home and you're wanting to pass on the faith to your children, or you're someone that works at a Catholic school, or you volunteer at your parish, or you lead small group studies, whatever your situation may be, we need to realize that right now we can't do parenting like our grandparents did parenting. We can't do Catholic schools like a previous generation maybe did Catholic schools. We can't do... RCIA, youth ministry, catechesis in the parish the way a previous generation did. Our approaches need to change in the home, in the world, and especially in our parishes. And I want to share with you some wonderful insights from this this new book that just came out from the University of Mary called From Christendom to Apostolic Mission. And I just had the chance to share this with a bunch of priests, and I thought I'd share it with you as well. So welcome to the All Things Catholic podcast. I'm your host Edward Sree and I'm so thrilled to be with you here. I you know I before I jump into the book, I have to tell you I I mentioned a couple episodes back that I was going to be going to Rome and it was awesome. It was awesome. So Rome is open up accepting pilgrims now from from all over the world. Uh, well, most, I should say not all over the world, but many parts of the world. Um, and we there was no requirement for a vaccine. We just had to do testing. And it was my wife and I, we took one of our daughters and uh, went to visit our other daughter who was studying in Florence for a summer program at her university. And uh, it was wonderful. And then some, a couple of friends came along and then some focused missionaries I work with. So it was a small private group, uh, but I was so thrilled that uh, I, I didn't think I was going to get to Italy this summer. I had to cancel the larger Trip that I had planned because it wasn't clear what Italy was going to do, and and then just uh, at the beginning of June they started to lay out their their plan, and we kind of pulled it all off in about <laughs> just two weeks before. Uh, it was kind of a last minute uh, little 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 trip, It's so wonderful to be able to pray at Saint Peter's tomb again. Uh, we had mass right down there, right by the tomb. It was amazing. Uh, we were blessed to have. Um, be able to pray at Saint John Paul II's tomb, Saint Catherine of Siena's tomb, uh, just just all these great saints that I, I love being able to to pray to pray with and and share their 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 churches with uh, to pilgrims. It was a wonderful wonderful experience. So um, I'm going again in September, and then we're all, we're already planning other trips uh, moving forward. So if anyone's interested in learning about the Rome pilgrimages, the best way I don't really do much advertising with it, except I'll mention it on the podcast at some point, but the, the main way is to be on my email list. You can go to edwards com uh, slash pilgrimages. Go to edwards com slash pilgrimages, uh, and then you could sign up for the email list for my pilgrimages. So go to edwards slash pilgrimages. Sign up for that, um, for information on those, and then whenever I have my new trips announced over the next year or two, uh, you'll you you'll get the, the email, and that's how you'll find out about the trip. But let's turn, return to this theme here of passing on the faith in the culture in which we're living, where everything seems to be on the decline. The number of people attending mass, belief, uh, the, the belief in various core doctrines is on the decline. The institutions of the church seem to be on the decline. And, and that could be discouraging. But what this book does is it describes how there's two different modes that we should be looking at in, in how the church has operated. You know, in the early church, it operated in an apostolic mode. When it was engaging a pagan culture in in Greece and Asia Minor and in Rome and all around the Mediterranean world, they're they're engaging a pagan culture, uh, a culture that has a different mindset, uh, and that's that's a lot harder, and it, and it it requires different strategies. But initially, when the apostles were first preaching the gospel, when they they got the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, remember, they were filled with the Spirit, and then Peter starts preaching that day, you may may recall, he preaches, and wow, 3,000 people are baptized in a single day. That's incredible. Wouldn't that be amazing? You know, if, you know, your bishop came to your town and just preached in the town square and 3,000 people were baptized, that'd be amazing, right? Well, how did... How did Peter do it? Well, it's interesting. I mean, he did it through the power of the Holy Spirit, of course, but you don't see anything else like that ever again. Like when Paul is going out preaching, whether it's in Corinth in Athens and all these other places, you don't see numbers like that. You see conversion. Don't get me wrong, but it's small. It's not in the thousands. What, is, is it because Peter's just a better preacher? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Peter's just, you know, he was the rock, you know, so he got 3,000, and Paul, he gets these handfuls here and there, but he never got 3,000. Why, why was it easier for, for Peter? Well, who's Peter talking to? Peter's talking to fellow Jews, and, and, and these Jews had a shared vision of the world the Jews had a lot of common starting points with Peter. You know, the Jews had a shared vision of the world. They believed in God, and they believed in heaven and hell. They believed in in sin. They believed that there was a real right and wrong in the world. They believed in the Ten Commandments. They believed that when you sin, you have to repent. They believed in prophecy, that there were prophets sent to the people of Israel. And they believed in God's providence, His hand working in this world. They believed that God was going to send a Messiah to, 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 to restore the kingdom. They believed there's all these common starting points, and Peter just connects the dots for them, and bam, wow, yes, this makes sense. We believe in Christ. And they're baptized. They repent that day, and they enter the church. It's amazing. But when St. Paul's going out, Paul is going out into the pagan worlds. He's, he's, He's primarily preaching to the Gentiles. He preaches the Jews too, but he's going into these Gentile worlds. He's going into Asia Minor, he's going into Greece, and he ultimately goes to Rome, These people do not have a common vision for the world. I love the story, in the book here from from Christendom to Apostolic Mission mentions uh, the scene in Acts chapter 14. You remember when Paul and Apollos, they go into the city of Lystra, and they're there in Lystra, and they— they heal a man who is crippled, and all the people are amazed. They see a miracle. That's that, and that's really great. But they they assume that that Peter or that Paul is is Hermes and Apollos is Zeus, and they 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 treat him like a Greek god because that was their the way their mind was formed. They had a Greek mythological vision of the world, a pagan vision of the world. And so you see, it's 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 a lot harder to preach the gospel when you're preaching to an audience that has different starting points. I think I think that's important because what we've seen in the Catholic Church for a long period of time—I think you could say for maybe close to a thousand years—there was a period where most of the the world had common starting points. You know, most of the the Western world, at least, where where Catholic churches resided they they were working with people that all believed in God you know you, you I was just walking the streets of Assisi a couple of weeks ago in Assisi Italy where St Francis and St Clair were and those were two great saints Francis was challenging the people of his day to really live the gospel to not put their hope in wealth and material well-being but to put their their hope in Jesus and and put their hope in spiritual well-being and put God first in his life you know so he challenged people but you know, you walk through this medieval town and and you can remember back then the people believed in God. They all believed in God. They believed in Jesus. They believed in the Eucharist. They believed in Mary. They believed in the Ten Commandments. They knew what it meant to be a man, what it meant to be a woman. They knew what marriage was. I mean, they have so many basic starting points. Yes, they needed a Saint Francis to remind them of those truths, to reawaken. Uh, you, you know, their hearts to to live according to those truths. And yes, would there always be, you know, certain people that would doubt a certain thing or fall into heresy? Yeah, that, that could happen. But the, the general culture, there was kind of a consensus. There was in the culture a shared assumption of basic truths about life, about God, about faith, about morality, about virtue. And you could have saints like St. Saint Francis come to challenge them to, to live them better. But, there, but but you're, you have those starting points there. That's not the case for St. Paul when he goes to Lystra. <laughs> you know, he's dealing with a completely different culture, a different mindset, a different way of looking at the world. And that's what's happening in our world today. That we are no longer living in Christendom, in a period where everything is viewed through a Christian lens. That might have happened in the time of Francis in Assisi. Uh, way back hundreds of years ago. But it's not the case today. Today, people have a very different vision of the world. They have a different vision for what makes us really happy. What is life all about? What happens when we die? They have a different vision of what is love? What is marriage? What makes us happy? What is there truth? What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? Some of the most basic fundamental truths the culture, the people from our culture don't look at them the same way. They have a different outlook on life, a secular outlook on life. And that's true, not just for the people out there in the culture, but the people in our own families, the people in our parishes, and our children that we're trying to raise, they're constantly being bombarded with this alternative vision for life whether it's in the, the, the movies they watch, the music they listen to, who they follow on social media, the, the, the YouTube videos they're watching, all those things are constantly bombarding them with an alternative way of looking at the world. And so I think one of the key things, and what I love about this book, From Christendom to Apostolic Mission from the University of Mary, is there's many books out there that have been writing about over the last 10 years the challenges in parishes, challenges of passing on faiths, the impact of secularism, lots of books out there. But this one is really putting the accent mark on the intellectual crisis we're facing, that we, we have to have a converted mind, a truly Catholic mind. And, you know, if there was somebody there in Lystra that wanted to become Catholic that day, let's say they said, hey, okay, I, I want to follow you, Paul, or I want to follow your God, Paul. <laughs> You're like, that person, yeah, that's great, but they, they have, they, they're going to have to go through a profound conversion of mind. They can't just join the church and expect that they're going to live it, you know, powerfully because they, their starting points are so off. They think about Zeus and Hermes. That's who they think Apollos and Paul is. You know, that, that's a, that's, that, that's a very different starting point than believing that there's only one God and that God uh, is, became man in Jesus Christ. It's a very different starting points. Uh, and that's the same with our, our, our world today. When we're passing on faith today, we have to do what St. Paul did when he wrote to the Romans. St. Paul said in Romans chapter 12 verses one through 2, he said, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by a renewal of your mind. So we have to highlight for people the way that the, the world looks at things and the way Jesus looks at things. What is it? What is a secular worldview? And what is a a Catholic worldview? And I'm I'm going to talk about some of this in future episodes. I want to kind of walk through some of these, but really quickly, I'll just mention a couple of those points, you know, that the, the secular world really puts value on what we can see, what we can see. Whereas a Catholic says that the most important things in the universe, the most beautiful things in the universe, the most powerful things in the universe are things we cannot see. Like the angels right around you right now, there's angels right around you. Right now, in your car as you're listening or on your walk as you're listening, on your exercise bike or wherever you are listening right now, there are angels right around you and there's your guardian angel and the good angels that are encouraging you and strengthening you and there's 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 the bad angels, the fallen angels that are trying to tempt you to to think this isn't true or to, to distract you right now. I mean, that's real. That is more real than whatever's trending on social media right now and significantly more important. And yet our secular world values only what you can see. The Holy Spirit dwelling within you, the grace of the sacraments, the spiritual battle you face in your soul every day. These invisible things are, are so much more important than anything that we can see, hear, or touch. You know, the secular world doesn't believe that there's a plan to our lives, that you, you make up your own plan. You, you, you figure out what you want to do in your life. There's so many contrasts uh, between the secular world and the, and the Christian worldview. You know, what is love? You know secular worldview is love is just you do something for me. What do I get out of you? What pleasure do I get? What feelings do I get? Um, you know, what do I get from you? That, that's love. But real love is about giving yourself, like Christ did on the cross, giving yourself to others as a gift and giving yourself to God. Dying to yourself for the sake of someone else. That's real love. You know, so again, I won't go through all that now. I do want to do an episode contrasting the secular worldview and the and a Catholic worldview. But that's the kind of thing we have to do more of from the pulpit. From our we need our priests and deacons to preach the contrast between a secular worldview and a Catholic worldview. We need parents to talk to their children about, hey, this is what this is what the world says love is, but this is what real love is. Uh, We need to do this in our homes. We need to do this for ourselves. But I want to close with, with one last point here. I want to close with one last point to give us hope here. Because even though we're living in a secular age and we see the decline in belief, we see a decline in numbers of people showing up, we see a decline in the institutions themselves, parishes, schools, seminaries are closing. We don't want to... Be trapped by social sociological analysis. That's a that's another point that this book makes. You know, every year there's a new survey showing you know the decline of Christianity, so to speak. But um, th- those numerical analyses <laughs> they they put the idea of faith, miracles, the Holy Spirit in the background. You don't really have, you know, when the latest Pew research doesn't analyze doesn't do an analysis on the life of the Holy Spirit. In individual groups, individual people, and it doesn't do that. It's just looking at numbers. And imagine if if those early apostles were just constrained by a sociological analysis, and they're looking at it's just there's just twelve of us, and how are we going to conquer the world? You know, no numerical analysis predicted the conversion of the Roman Empire, and yet it happened. You know, again, if you were betting. If you were betting in 33 AD, you know, are these 11 men going to convert the Roman Empire? You would never, never put your money on them, right? (laughs) You know, you might as well put your money on the Chicago Cubs. That might have better chances. (laughs) But uh, no numerical, I'm I'm a Cubs fan, everyone, so just you all know that I always poke fun of my beloved Cubs who barely can win these days. But anyway, um, no numerical analysis predicted the monastic movement. St. Benedict, you know, out of nowhere, just starts all, you know, from him, all in a generation after him, all these monasteries started all around Italy, all around Europe. It's incredible. Same thing when you see the church suffering in the medieval period, and then all of a sudden God brings us St. Francis, or you think about. You know, you look at what's happening in in the Americas and and the Aztecs and uh, child sacrifice and all these things. Then out of nowhere, Our Lady of Guadalupe appears and millions of people are converted. I mean, again, these are things you can't predict. You can't put your hope in they, they do, uh, it, uh, through sociological analysis. But they happen when you put your hope in God. Uh, I'll close with this. Uh, the book mentions this wonderful passage from Second Kings, chapter six, verse twenty-three, where Elisha the prophet is there with his servant, and there's these armies that are going to attack. And Elisha says to the servant, "Do not be afraid; those who are with us are more than those with them." So he's, so Elijah is putting his trust in those who are with us. But the only, the interesting thing is, he's not talking about an army, or at least an army with swords and, and knives and shields. <laughs> he, he was talking about the spiritual world. And uh, the servant says, I don't see anyone. What are you talking about? And then Alicia opens a servant's eyes to see the spiritual world and the realm of the, the spiritual battalions, They're the angels that were there to help and protect. And that's what we need to do. We need to have our eyes opened to see and put our trust in God who can bring about conversion of family members who we could think would never convert. We could put our trust when we see at our parish, I just I just think our parish is just dying and things aren't happening, and and yet God can do amazing things through our parishes if we put our trust in him, like those first apostles did. So I want to encourage you all, check out this book. It's called From Christendom to Apostolic Mission, uh, Pastoral Strategies for an Apostolic Age from the University of Mary. This is a great book to give your pastor. It's a great book to give your bishop. It's a great book to, to give your Catholic school principal uh, for those in leadership. But I think it's a good book for you if you're just a parent in the home. I shouldn't say just a parent. You're you're like a bishop in your own home in a sense. You're You're the one, kind of the spiritual father and mother for your children. You have an important role of passing on the faith to them. Uh, in this very secular age, how do you do that effectively? What do you need to be aware of? You can check out this book. We'll put more information in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening. You can always reach me at edwardsreed dot com, or you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. God bless.